Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I get to chat with Rebecca Klein. Rebecca is the SVP of marketing at Loom. And many of you have probably heard of Loom, either because it's a company that's on fire or you're using Loom to send videos out, or you've gotten a Loom video by someone who sent you one in your inbox as of late. Now, what was really cool for me about doing research about Rebecca is normally I go and I check out LinkedIn and I find different resources, but they are truly drinking their own champagne. If you go to their About Us page for Loom, you'll find each of their leaders providing an overview of themselves using Loom, walking through their own LinkedIn. So you can do that right now or tune in for everything that we're gonna hear about her on this episode. And we talk about her path to this SVP opportunity and some of the unique experiences that she's had being a general manager or even chief operating officer of companies as they grow. And we talk a lot in this episode about the requirement of a marketing leader or anyone on a senior leadership team to work cross-functionally. I think that's one of the big takeaways you'll have is the opportunities we have to do so and how they create a new lens of how we can scale our organization. Hey, Rebecca, thanks so much for jumping in here. I am really excited to talk about your career and even Loom because there's so much hype about this company now and how easy you make it to record videos. We'll, we'll probably talk about video at some point in this chat, but how did you land this opportunity? Yes, well, thank you so much for having me on and excited to be here. And uh, I landed this opportunity through, um, I'm a big believer in when you're looking for somewhere to spend your time and all of your efforts to like really pound the pavement. So I landed this opportunity by doing a lot of research, doing a lot of meetings and uh, I had been contacted by the company and I'd also been contacted by some of the VCs, but this was probably after looking at maybe a hundred companies. A hundred companies, wow. Yeah. That's uh... yeah. That's some serious due diligence. I, I mean, we're not going to go through all 100 companies, but... I have a spreadsheet. It's it's a wild world out there, as you know. So you put oh, Absolutely. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of people hiring and a lot of growth, so no question potential. And, and we'll get to everything you've done before that would no question make anyone excited to chat with you. I'm just curious, though, did you... Did you narrow that down to a few at the end, or was it really a matter of timing... Yeah, a couple things that I I was unsure what stage I want to go back at. And so I've done zero to 100 a couple times. I've done IPO and like doing some soul searching. Where do I want to go and who do I want to work with? And a lot of CMOs I know and other executives are very prescriptive. I'm going to go in at this stage and this is my sweet spot and this is what I do. I like zero to 50. I like, um, I wasn't there, you know, and uh, and I was also at this interesting point in my career of, do I want to stay in cybersecurity, which is what most of my career is, or do I want to go into another potential category, which I did with Loom? I 
had some things on the table and I answered that by doing a lot of meetings. I was about to take a step back because it was kind of tiring. Uh, and then I met Joe, the CEO of Loom, and uh, things actually moved pretty quickly from there because we just hit it off from the first conversation. That's awesome. Uh, it's such a cool company again. But I want to go back in your career a little bit, and, and you hit on having a long tenure in cybersecurity. An interesting path that got you to the C-level, even though people who listen to our intro know that you're at the SVP level. We'll hit on that in a bit here. But talk to us about how you climbed the ranks at Malwarebytes over that six-year run. Yeah, I uh, joined as their first ever head of marketing, employee number 25. Uh, before that, I was in a very technical role doing a bit of product management, e-commerce, and billing. That's how I ended up for another company with security. I ended up being introduced to Malwarebytes. So employee number 25, first ever had a marketing, 10 million, no subscription. People literally just mailing, <laughs> mailing checks of money to this company. And I was there for six years and through a lot of success. And I wore uh, multiple hats and had multiple titles, um, but ultimately remained as the head of marketing. So from employee one in marketing up to employee 50. And then I also managed customer success for three years. And I managed sales for quite a long time until it became big and significant enough for uh, a head of sales. Interesting. And, you know, I was looking, you had grown not into just the CMO there, but the COO, which makes sense with a lot of those other areas of the business that you took on. I imagine that that was almost this turning point for your career. I mean, you could have gone down that operations path, potentially even to a CEO one day, or you could have gone continuing down that path of being the head of marketing. How did that go through your mind in that moment of deciding which path was right for you? Yeah, uh, the COO, I think now what you see is a CRO. And as product and sales and marketing, as many of as your listeners know, become closer together, it was more of that. That was what I was doing. And COO is facilities and finance, and those are absolutely not my sweet spot. <laughs> so we had a good realization of that. So I think just a couple of years ago, even the titles of how we look at these things have changed quite a bit. But in terms of where I want to go and how I view myself, um, I view myself as a cross-functional leader. I like to build companies and that's, I like to go across. And where would I go later? I, I, ideally after this, I'm going into a founder level, but I am still, you know, at 41, still learning so much. And I just really love this journey. And so uh, I always join a company, mission-driven, something I can just really get behind. I think it matters more than anything. But as for where I'll head, I, it might be a little bit of a different direction um, than some others. That's really interesting. Yeah, that that cross-functional element is so aligned to being a head of marketing. And I'm using this word head of marketing versus using a different common term that we usually have, which is either VP or CMO. And I think one of the unique parts about probably understanding you is looking at your titles over the year. I mean, you were at this CMO level, a company malwarebytes, a company that's truly scaled and achieved great things. Yet since then, you've had a number of different roles ranging from VP to SVP. How do you think of the importance of finding that right fit, finding that company that you can grow versus having that C-level title? A couple things. Um, 
I had been running like the full P&L of it. So at PagerDuty and at Malwarebytes, so a little bit of a distinction, but full P&L and full forecast on that business. So at Malwarebytes, the consumer business, and then the entire B2B pipe. And um, at PagerDuty, I had also full forecast on a segment of the business. So a little bit different in terms of like the buck fully stopped with the revenue and the forecast uh, retention, the whole nine. But I don't think that that's uncommon these days either. And so lots of companies are looking at this and coming up with different models. Um, so in terms of like a lot on the titling side, it really depends on the size of company. It really depends inside marketing. There's product market fit and then there's go to market fit. And you, you're usually at the intersection of like a couple different things that you want to have be you're spiking on to be a fit for that role. And it isn't more just like, oh, we're looking for a demand gen person or like, no, it's like, what is the kind of business? How will I create the audiences and the product market fit continually for this business? Then there's that go to market question of what are the channels? Is it product? Is it channel sales? Is it field? or what combination of which. I think those are really important things to uh, dissect and also discuss during the interview process to fully understand beyond marketing, what else is in here that even the company may not be yet aware of. I love I love the way you frame that at the end there, beyond marketing, what else is in here? And you, know, you hit it on it well throughout this combo so far. I mean, even some of your roles in malware rights, you know, that rise of the CRO title is really shaking up the definition of who owns what. Uh, you know, on, on my team, we have an SVP of revenue who owns not just new logo, but also all of our retention and our customer success. So I think that there is that, you know, cross-functional concept again, really coming in. And, and are you almost at times wondering if there's something to overcome being the CMO? in terms of title and what's inferred to be owned there? Um, I don't, I don't have as hard line on this. And I think there's, there's so much to be said about, you know, marketing and sales and how these roles have gotten on, but like you could say the exact same for the head of engineering, the head of information, the CIO, all of these roles are becoming super blurred and super cross-functional. <laughs> and so because we're in this industry, we, we kind of hyper-focus down on what's happening there in, in the go-to-market sphere, that the same exact thing is happening in product design, engineering, IT, where uh, things are just becoming more and more cross-functional. And so I believe it really is up to the company to just be real. And you probably shouldn't use a playbook. You should probably get real and say, what do we need to be good at? Who are the people we have at the table who spike at these things? And just have that conversation. It may be uncomfortable, but you'll you'll be better off for having it and for like putting your cards out on the table. Uh, so just a question out of curiosity, and then we'll take a break here. I imagine I can guess the answer to the first two people in the question I'm going to ask. So who would be the top three people as part of the senior leadership team that you spend the most time with during an average week? And I'm going to guess that the CEO and the head of sales are your top two uh, or somewhere in that top three. Who would be that last one? CFO, but also product. Okay. Yeah. And not to even throw yet another in there, but if you really have a, a digital background and you are leaning into conversion and online sales, then that opens up all of your relationship with engineering. So I've also very, uh, having been responsible for billing systems and full 
So it also really depends, but really, really everyone. Um, and, and it does, it goes back to that question of like, what is in my scope and like, what is my um, inside product market fit and also go to market. So really sorry, sorry for the non-answer. But <laughs> no, it's, I mean, that's reality. It's reality. It probably depends on the week two and the priorities and the projects going on. Anyhow, Rebecca, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back. We'll chat a little bit more, shifting over to the buyer journey here on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Rebecca hit there on the importance of being able to operate cross-functionally. Now, first off, let me say, I don't think that this is a skill that just marketers need to have. I think this is a skill that anyone in an organization needs to have, especially in the world that we're in right now, where we're not all in the same office. We need to be confident to cross those borders, to reach out to people and really understand what they need to be successful and how we can help. But without question, to be a marketing leader, we need to be able to work cross-functionally. And as Rebecca hits on throughout this podcast, I think you'll start to realize it's no longer just about how does marketing work with sales. It's about how does marketing work across product, sales, engineering, all these different areas. The ability for us to cross functions and work not just with one another, but in groups becomes more and more essential, especially as we're not all in the same office. So Rebecca, without getting too deep into what Loom does, it's there's so much virality around this product right now. You know, I hear about it from salespeople, I hear about it from marketers, I even hear about it from engineers. So all these people you talked about collaborating with internally could be using your product. How do you figure out with such a broad audience how to target from a go-to-market perspective? I mean, that's challenging when we have so many different potential users. Yes, it absolutely is. And it is a conversation we have uh, quite a bit, um, even today still. So spiking hard in all of these different personas and use cases, you are a product that is ubiquitous. It's being used for personal use at school, at home. And then there are certain genres of people like engineers or sales who are using it for different things. In just taking a step back, like you, the product in the way it was even built and designed really does inform some of the go-to-market strategy. And, and go-to-market should be a natural extension of what your product is. And I just highlight that because a freemium model is very different than selling like a nation state, like, you know, cybersecurity, <laughs> um, like it's a very serious product versus we're doing simple, easy to use video communication 
the product and the way it's built and used, as you know, you film a loom, you send it off very much like the way an email or something else would work. Um, so super simple to share. And so a lot of that comes from product flywheel and virality. And a lot of those use cases open up by just helping enable and unlock some of those groups and like, what would I be using this for? And so for an engineering, it's sprint reviews. For a, a salesperson, it's actually doing, you know, sales outreach and helping to make a personal connection. So there are different plans and paths you can take. A lot of companies, Airtables, Smartsheets, Canvas, will go down like the templated approach and here's how we'll like open up a bunch of templates that you can use to unlock these different use cases and we'll help make it easy for that persona or that use case. And so at Loom, we have done some of that and we are exploring ways we can do it more. And then there are areas where we're just going to continually see uh, with the, the groups that we have, like product design and engineering, go to market. Some groups need more handholding than others. So which areas do we want to focus on and then which uh, segments? So the product does a good deal of this work and then marketing is augmenting and helping unlock some of these use cases. And I'll have to just say like some people get it right away. Some other, uh, other companies are like really want to be, they want us to exactly tell them, how will I use this inside my company and what is it for? So it really does also depend quite a bit on the company and uh, their just maturity curve. It's interesting. And, you know, I, I was looking around on, I've used Loom, but I, I was looking around on the website leading into our chat today. And I saw, I mean, there's something like eight use cases that are at least highlighted in the menu. And I was sitting there thinking, and I know you shared with me before we recorded today that the marketing team is about 20 people. So I'm curious, how heavy within those 20 do you have product marketers? And are they owning multiple go to markets or mar multiple use cases and audiences, or does someone have to try and figure out how to balance one message that then breaks out? Yeah, uh, so I've been here six months and most of the hiring has just been as, as of recent. And so product marketing has just become a team of four in the last couple of weeks. So we were behind the curve here. We spent a lot of time on what should the structure of this team be when you have this exact thing of this like ubiquitous group and where we ultimately landed on. Just similar to what I said, you kind of map out like what are all the ways this could go? What will work for us? What won't? Won't. Uh, what we ultimately landed on is we have a uh, team member and soon to be team that is responsible for the individual creator, making a person successful on Loom as an individual. Then we have an SDK, our software development kit, which is really focused on getting it in the hands of developers who can then integrate and help unlock more use cases than we can get to. Uh, so that's going into all your vertical softwares and um, other places like that. And then we have someone who's helping on the business side. How can we show CIOs and CHROs the ROI and the value of this? It's landing in their company. And so then you want to be able to have that business conversation of like, here's what this looks like as a wall-to-wall. -wall. So that's ultimately what we landed on. But it took us like two months of like, hey, what's the right structure here? And many companies do this differently, but stages of buyer journey, et cetera, et cetera. That's really interesting. It's really thinking about thinking beyond the use case, perhaps more to the future of use uh, and the type of decision makers that may be at the table at the end of the day. So I've got another big question for you in terms of go-to-market. And I mean, Loom has, has made a lot of headways, not just in users, but also fundraising. 
I think the last round I saw was around 130 million. So no question, it's it's about scale. And I'm wondering how you balance that push to go and expand probably what people spend with you versus how many people are using this platform. I saw also on the homepage, you know, the enterprise button, right? We all want to figure out eventually how to expand our ACV. But how do you balance right now owning the entire market versus going up market? Yeah, so we, we, we have a demand generation team whose sole responsibility is that up market motion. So you could think about it as PQL, product qualified lead. So we have our product and we have some of our marketing team working to seed, right? And so they're getting that low level adoption and usage. And then we have an augmentation, which is what does this look like to have a larger conversation? This really depends on different kinds of companies on, are you selling to a developer who never wants to talk to someone or, but for Loom specifically, you're in this, we're in a really unprecedented time of work from home and work from anywhere is probably going to stick around for a lot of different kinds of industries and companies. And Loom is a tool that helps unlock that. So I have to caveat that it's very unique to this business that this is like a moment in time for us. And there are lots of CIOs and heads of workplace transformation. So we're, we're very lucky to be, there's macro trends going on right now. And people see this as strategic and they want to have that conversation. So if this was a different kind of company and different audience or different time, you may not want to make that investment yet. So I do want to caveat that we're also, there is a bit of a right place, right time. So the company's five years old, leading this movement in kind of asynchronous, uh, but a global pandemic, as you can imagine, accelerates that uh, quite a bit. That's really interesting. And, and something I hadn't thought about is that, you know, in some cases, and, you know, maybe the most famous that we can think of even in more of a consumer side was Instagram, right? You know, they, they pushed off, any revenue generation until they had the mass market, in which case Facebook wanted them. You could argue that in, in a traditional sense, maybe looms early to think about trying to over monetize, but enterprises, like you said, right now, everyone's trying to figure out how to make this work. And I, I'm curious how much of that has been overwhelming perhaps for your team as people are inquiring and you built this product-led growth machine? Yeah, um, not so much. And so th there's also other companies, developers, where they have, you know, six figures, seven figure, eight figure spends on credit cards. And so, and you're not even, you know, really being discussed by the CIO or the head of product or whomever. So think that the market has changed so dramatically in terms of when do you need to have that type of conversation um, and what does that look like? And so it's really dependent on the segment. And so I, I, I do caveat that a lot of like, you really have to sit down and think about who is using this and what does that path to market look like? I am coming from just developer before this. So <laughs> that's fresh in my mind. The market, the marketing for this is quite different, even though they are very much like PLGs where they ultimately go and who you ultimately end up talking to is different. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned Instagram and just getting back to that right place, right time, macro trend. Most companies, whether they're content marketing or 
they're founded at the same, usually around the same years or because there's a larger macro trend or a need that's happening. So you'll see lots of companies will start at the same time, right? As buyers or, or users are needing something. And I was just thinking about Instagram over the weekend because I think I think they launched only like a year after the iPhone or maybe it, like it wasn't long. And all of a sudden you have all, everyone taking these beautiful photos. So smart timing, right place, right time. I won't, I would never just say it's luck or anything like that, but the market is just the market and the market readiness is so important. Absolutely. No, it's, it's so true. And, and there's been so many innovations that have come at difficult times, right? Yeah. Or innovation times, be it the iPhone, be it you know, the financial crisis that we had, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'm losing track on timelines now in my head. But, uh, you know, I, I think, as you've said, you know, we're at an interesting time and, you know, the solution that you're working at now and the solution a lot of us may be at, sometimes just needs to be repositioned to take advantage of that. So really interesting perspective. We're going to keep you around, Rebecca. One more set of questions, a little bit more rapid fire after this last break. Reflecting back on this combo with Rebecca, I can't help to think about, do we take the right opportunities to expand who our target audience is? And you hear Rebecca talk very openly about, you know, timing is everything. And that in a normal world, Loom may just be out there trying to get more users, free users, paid users at the prices they have. But the opportunity is on the table right now in their market to go after this enterprise. And I think a lot of us have to look at whether the world is shifting. And that could be because of the pandemic or that could be other trends are happening in your industry at any time. And is there an opportunity to open up to a new segment, to put a new audience in front of your marketers or your salespeople and say, we can go and we can conquer this because we have the right solution at the right time. This is something that should really be evaluated at all times by our teams so that we're looking at ways to expand our TAM. Rebecca, we have unpacked your career, really interesting twists and turns. We've talked about the complexity and the timing now I've got some timely questions about how you think the future of marketing will unfold. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So these are rapid fire. We're going to get quick answers from you. The first one I've got is when you think of that next marketing leader who's going to sit at your seat, do you think they're going to come through being more as a specialist in a certain area or more of a generalist of marketing? Tough question. Um, I hope that they are a generalist that good stuff <laughs> yeah you know, we, we're definitely embracing the speed round what what about the generalists do you like the, the logic behind that goes back to what we were talking about of wherever you can have as much uh broad-based experience as possible and then hire to your higher than the specialty I think you're better off. You could absolutely argue the other way. And sometimes if a company specifically knows they need that X specialty, then awesome. Um, but oftentimes they don't. <laughs> That's so true. So true. What, as you think of, you know, some of the best marketers that you've been able to work with, what do they do a lot that you wish others would do more of? Big picture thinking. 
we all we all have a tendency to get really far down in there because we have to. It's required of our jobs. But taking a step back, like we were talking about, what's happening in the market? What are the macro trends? Are we attached to those? And what are the people we're selling to? What are they doing? It sounds simplistic, but I do think we have a tendency to get in the weeds just because the nature of marketing is quite literally thousands of tactics you know, going on at any time. And so it can be easy to fall into that trap. Gotcha. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So we, we talked a little bit about the audience that you have to build for at Loom. When you think of creating great content, what is the key to content that gets you to personally click through? Uh, dependent on product again. So uh, the, the Loom answer, remember, because Loom as a product is in, in video. So we'll be investing in that kind of content. Uh, so I think wherever your content strategy and content can align to who you are and what you're doing uh, makes a lot of sense. That's great. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Contextualizing and understanding who your audience is so key when it comes to content. So earlier when we were chatting, you alluded to the different scale of companies that you've seen, you know, joining companies, you know, who didn't even really have a recurring revenue model, taking them to 100 million, taking them to IPO. What's one thing, at, regardless of stage, that has been impressive to you about the marketing teams that have accomplished this? I think being both an internal and external, you're the voice of the customer, of course, but you're also really the internal culture, right? And the rally for that growth uh, of going for something like 10 million to 100 million or through an IPO. You could consider that nerve wracking or you could consider that wholly rewarding and just a really uh, amazing opportunity to be able to do that and to be able to be the person who can help the company get from one point to the next through optimism and through just sheer uh, culture building. That's great. Great advice. So the last one is maybe the toughest question I'll ask. Because as, as a marketing leader, it's tough to take breaks. Uh, how do you make time for those breaks for personal getaways? And where are you hoping to get to next? Uh, I'm actually, I uh, have an Airstream van that I bought last year during the pandemic. I have a new kiddo. And so we're doing, cool. we're doing a lot of van life. And so uh, every weekend thus far, um, I'm also... And absolutely, as I think everyone should be taking something from this pandemic and great resignation and really getting serious about how do I spend my work day? How do I think about deep work? How do I think about collaboration work? And how do I think about where my, my off time is? Because this conversation around burnout is real and people are just zapping themselves, you know? And so um, that is a big reason beyond what Loom does. I like what they stand for. They're just a software tool, sure. But this whole movement of a better way to work um, that is becoming the dialogue of, of du jour, uh, I think is really important and fresh and timely. And so I am a plan to and am uh, living it. <laughs> I love that. I, I love the mantra that exists there. And I love even more the, you know, the uh, van that allows you to go anywhere you want, anytime, any weekend, to your point. Uh, this has been such, so much fun to chat, Rebecca. I really enjoyed getting to know you. I, I think our whole audience will walk away with so many tips and ideas that they can challenge their team with. And if you're listening to this episode for the first time, check out some of the other great marketing leaders that I've been able to speak to over the years. They are all on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, big thanks to Rebecca Klein. This is The Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 